Hi, I'm Jason, and this is another episode of Rewind and Review. My usual co-host is currently away visiting Middle Earth, or New Zealand, I think they call it. So filling in his shoes is my That Film Stew co-host, Luke. Hello. Or should I say... <laughs> That's not bad. Yeah, I like it. Not bad. Welcome, everyone, and welcome, Luke. It's good to have you here, especially to talk about a movie that I know you are very fond of. As my guest, how about you tell everyone what this podcast is all about? Rewind and Review is the retrospective podcast where we have a look at a existing property from the past, delve into its legacy, discuss how it has held up over time, and even give our own personal experiences. Did we watch it as a kid or sometime later in our lives? This episode of Rewind and Review will look at a film that is celebrating its 35th anniversary this year in 2019. Rob is on vacation, so let's rewind to when Eddie Murphy went on vacation back in 1984. We have to go back! Go back, Sam! What year is it? Are you telling me you built a time machine? Nineteen eighty-four was a phenomenal year for movies. Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Gremlins, The Karate Kid, Police Academy, Footloose, The Terminator, and Nightmare on Elm Street. This could be where the eighties peaked. And you were born. Yeah, love the year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got but it. You. Really was a great year for cinema. I mean, amazing. Those movies I just reeled off there, minus Footloose. Incredible. People like Footloose. Come on, people do. People love Footloose. The 1984 North American box office peaked that year with Beverly Hills Cop, and that is what we are here to talk about today. Spoiler warning, of course, if you have not yet watched Beverly Hills Cop, this review will include spoilers. Directed by Martin Brest, Beverly Hills Cop is an action comedy film which follows Axel Foley, played by Murphy, a street-smart Detroit cop who attempts to solve the murder of his best friend. Axel follows the leads to Beverly Hills, California under the guise of a vacation. He checks in with old friend Jenny Summers, played by Lisa Ilbacher, and starts to believe her boss, art dealer Victor Maitland, played by Stephen Burkoff, might somehow be involved in the murder. However, Lieutenant Bogomil, played by Ronnie Cox of the Beverly Hills Police Department, does not trust Foley and hinders his search for evidence. At no point does anybody buy his on vacation. Yeah, no, not at all. Not at all. But they, they go with it. And he, he plays it cool. He plays it cool. Tell me... I know you love this movie. Tell me... I was going to say why, but no, don't tell me why. Tell me how. When? I don't remember a time when I didn't know about this movie. I've always been a big fan of Eddie Murphy. And it probably started... With this movie. Because if you take away the action sequences, like, you know, being young watching this, there's a lot of Saturday Night Live style skits happening here. You know, you've got Murphy's character, he's, he's Axel Foley, I should say, <laughs> but he, he's, he's doing all these impressions and there's just a lot for a kid to like and there's the car chasers. I just love it. I went through a period when I was younger and it was cop comedies. Beverly Hills Cop, Police Academy. Naked Gun. Always been fans 
of those types of movies. Even now, you love the police procedurals, don't you? Not police procedurals, but like police movies. And we don't get movies like Beverly Hills Cop today. I guess the closest thing would be Stuber with Batista and Kamal Nanjiani. We got that recently, those mid-level action comedies, like Rush Hour in the 90s. Mm. I love all those movies. And we don't get many now. But Beverly Hills Cop, it's where it all started. I think it's the, it's the type of comedy as well, which if this movie was made today, it would be, you know, that sort of pushed comedy, that extreme, every every line delivered would be a one-liner or, you know, there'd be a punchline to it where, you know, this improvised sort of comedy that was that's integrated into this story, it's it's different and it's it's of that time and you don't get that anymore. And there's, yeah, you miss it, don't you? And that's Eddie Murphy's background, improv, and a lot of the other cast members are doing it as well, not quite on his level, but he's doing it. Like, if you look at a movie like Die Hard, which came out in, what, the late 80s, and people were saying that, oh, you know, this is like a different kind of action movie where he, you know, John McClane is the everyman. Mm. Like, in 84, Eddie Murphy was doing something so different in Beverly Hills Cop. Like, before him, it was all Stallone, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Action heroes. These big guys where he's just this skinny cop you know he's got all the one-liners but he's very different to what had come before well this was almost a Stallone movie but we'll get to that i've got a bit of information there i've only seen this movie once prior to the viewing i had for this going into this i don't know when it was i had watched it once and i barely remembered it i remembered liking it but not to anywhere close to the extent that you know your your fondness of it or anything like that i had watched it and then it sort of disappeared. I hadn't seen the sequels or anything like that. It's just. Have you still not seen the sequels? No, I haven't seen the sequels. Number two is excellent. The uh-huh. Alphabet Killer. And it I heard. Great. I heard not to, not to, not even. Don't even look at the third. No, I've I've been told. Yeah, no. The third. <laughs> the third is different. It. I mean, even if you look at the rating of the movie, it went from being like an eighteen, fifteen in the UK. I think it's like an MA here in Australia. They toned it and down. The third one's almost like a PG. The first two movies are action comedies, and with the third one, it's as if they were just trying to make an action film, and they just completely lost sight of what made Axel Foley. Axel Foley. But it's been a few years since I've watched two and three. But with the first one, if I'm to give an honest number over the years, including VHS, DVD, Blu-ray, TV, I'd say I've maybe seen it 30 times. As a rough estimate, like, well, yeah. So no. 30 times, you know, again, like I don't remember a time like, where once a year. I didn't know <laughs> about this movie. And saying once a year, like for this podcast, I've watched it twice in a couple of weeks. Well, there you go. That's some intense prep. Let's talk about the legacy of this movie. Um, budget, $15 million. Box office, $316.4 million. Um, as I said earlier, it was the highest grossing movie for the US domestic box office in 1984. This movie, this action comedy drama starring Eddie Murphy, you know, it wasn't crazy big budget movie. It was this small little action comedy. But in a mo- you know, but in a year that, Again, Ghostbusters and, like and all these and other that's big movies. That's what makes it even more profound. It's like you listed off a whole bunch of movies that could easily be believable as the highest money-taking movie. I did read that worldwide the highest-grossing movie was Temple of Doom. Oldie so I know yep. with these stats, it is, what is it, the, the domestic box yes. office. 
But still, I mean, that is still pretty impressive. And again, like, for a movie that cost $15 million. Yeah. <laughs> and Eddie Murphy, like, before this movie, he'd done 48 Hours. There'd have been some a couple others that he'd done. But it was mainly his stand-up, right, that was... His, he did two stand-up. He had done Delirious and Raw by this by this stage, I'm pretty sure. And that's why you get that scene when you first get to Beverly Hills. And he's like, people walking down the Michael street Jackson, wearing his... Yeah. Well, that, they're the outfits that he wore on stage. So that's yeah, yeah. why... Yeah, so that's why they're in there. And he stops and he laughs, he which, is a pretty, which is a pretty good moment. But yes, you're right. Stand-up, SNL. He'd not been a lead like this before. Because you look at 48 Hours, it was him and Nick Nolte. He was the other guy. And all of a sudden, this movie just propelled him to stardom. It received critical acclaim upon its release, and it's considered by many as one of the best films of 1984. At the moment, Rotten Tomatoes has it at 80%. So that's an average of 7 out of 10 from 46 reviews. Not heaps of reviews, but... That was quite surprising. Yeah, you think there'd be, yeah, be more. Maybe I need to go make it 47. Maybe we can add, yeah, we can add to it. <laughs> the film picked up quite a few awards. It was nominated for Best Writing, Original Screenplay, an Academy Award. Oh, yes. Nominated for Best Score at the British Academy Film Awards. Nominated for Best Motion Picture at the Edgar Allan Poe Award. Nominated for Best Motion Picture, Comedy Musical, and Best Motion Picture Actor, Comedy musical again for Eddie Murphy at the Golden Globes. It won Best Score Soundtrack Album. It got a Grammy. It won Favourite Motion Picture, People's Choice Award. So we're really going through all the awards here. <laughs> won Best Vehicular Stunt for a Motion Picture. Got a Stuntman Award. A Stuntman Award. I want, I want one of those. I mean... You it, reckon that would be for it the... got a lot of awards. Would that I mean, be for the truck chase at the start? You know, because that is full of destruction. It's it like, really is. It's but like the slowest paced chase I've ever seen ever on film. But I've always noticed this. There's a shot where the cop car it gets hit on the front and it spins in the opposite direction, and it doesn't look as though it connects. <laughs> it's like the car <laughs> just spins out of the way, and it was pre-damaged. It doesn't look as though that oh. truck connected. It like parks next to it. With but that <laughs> is a great opening. I know we're going to get to the soundtrack, but holy crap! The heat is on. The like, heat is on, yeah. And it's... I always forget when I go to watch it, and again, I watched it twice in a short period of time, and when it starts, I'm like, have I lent on mute on the control on my TV? Because it's just black. It and is, it yeah. comes up, and you're getting maybe four credits, and then it opens, and the music starts, the heat is on. I did the... Ex- I did... Well, I don't know if you do this, but I turned my volume up, because yeah, I was like, it, oh, is this like a really quiet... every time. But the way they managed to sync the musical to the movie, and I know we're going to get to it more later on, but the heat is on that when the, the song's turning up, and that's when it says Beverly Hills, and then the word cop swooshes in. <laughs> Magic. It's so good. We, we did mention, obviously, we get a few sequels and stuff. Beverly Hills Cop 2 in 1987. Uh, mixed reviews, but a box office success, which led them to, hey, let's do a third one. Um, 1994. Unsuccessful, both critically and commercially. So I guess the franchise pretty much died then. It were, if you, the trilogy was yeah. done. If you do watch Beverly Hills Cop 3, look out for George Lucas. He has a cameo. Ooh. And this is a movie directed by John Landis. Beverly Hills Cop 2, Tony Scott. So they're getting big directors for yeah. 2 and 3. So what happened? But you, you, know, you say that 
you like to. So it's been a while since I've rewatched it, but growing up watching these movies, two was always my favourite out of the three. I've oh, always okay, thought yeah. two, one, three. But after watching the, the usual trilogy, yeah. <laughs> but after watching, yeah, after watching this a, a couple of times recently, I'd have to go back and do the second one just to get like just to make sure a current yeah. opinion. Mm. Um, there was a TV series, well, was in the works actually. Sorry, in 2013 for CBS. Uh, the pilot was written by Sean Ryan and directed by Barry Sonnenfeld from Men, Men in Black. Black. Yeah, you know, I did hear they shot this pilot. They shot, they shot the it. pilot. Eddie Murphy is in it, but he is the captain at the station. Right, because we have um, Brandon T. Jackson was apparently cast as Axel Foley's son. And when that didn't work, he got cast as Shaft's son <laughs> in the latest <laughs> Shaft movie. Ah, whoever. <laughs> and if you're watching The Boys on Amazon, he is A-Train, the speedster. Oh, there it is. It's all happening. So this was... Oh, yeah, 2003. I was like, this is this was recent. Um, but, of course, as things went, the series was not picked up. But recently there's been talks of a fourth movie. I don't know if I want it. A TV series where Foley takes a backstage... And it's like, like it a goes off into something to else. His yeah. son. Like, continue the universe. Yeah. We've seen the later Die Hard movies... They're not the best, especially the last one. You think of where, funny one? enough, John McClane goes on vacation. <laughs> like in Beverly Hills Cop. Only Chernobyl. So not like Beverly Hills Cop. But do you think do you think a fourth one? Do you think they could probably still use the the son idea and maybe he would take See, I don't want centre that. stage? I, I, I don't you, want you that. would want Eddie Murphy back doing his thing. He's back doing a sequel to Coming to America. And he finds out he's got a long-lost son, I believe, or oh, daughter, yeah, it would be or the same, something. Be the same it's thing. a bit similar. I'm out, and I love coming to America, and I'm completely open to a sequel to that. I just, I don't want to see old man Axel Foley. And I know Eddie Murphy still looks great. Mm. I think he's in his 50s. But he'd have to play the older character. Axel Foley, to me, is just a young... Wise ass. That's it, yeah. I don't want him to be just the older, just, uh... mature character mentoring his son or whoever. So I'm happy. Uh, yeah, and I guess if he's three. if he's still doing that, it's like it's just kind of sad because when's he going to grow up? I do like that they released Beverly Hills Cop three on the ten year anniversary of the first one. I like that. Probably a coincidence. Probably an accident. Yeah. But the film itself, he goes to Wally World. What? <laughs> no, that's vacation. No, maybe it is Wally World. It's something. It goes to a made-up theme park. If it's Wally World, that's, uh, that would be crazy. It's along those lines. Honestly, it's been a number of years since I've seen it. One thing I think I, I get for this movie, and this excited me because I, uh, I was like, I get to talk about Crazy Frog. Oh, I get to talk about Crazy Frog. I hate that damn <laughs> frog. <laughs> So, the recurring instrumental theme throughout the film series is called Axel F, uh, which was composed by Harold Faltermeyer. It became popular with audiences. When was it? It was, like, in the early 2000s or so. Yeah. When, like... Awful. I guess, I guess the internet was, like, a thing and mobile phone things were, you know, or... Crazy Frog. Remixed as Crazy Frog. Yeah, it's, it's terrible. The Axel it's F terrible. theme, though, it's been used as recent as... Angry Birds 2. Oh, really? It's still well, being used. Is it in the trailer, is it? or is it In the movie. Oh. I came across it when I was doing prep for this. Yeah, so that's a movie that came out this year, and they're featuring 
Axel F. As a theme, it is incredible. It's, and the way yeah. that they use it is absolutely brilliant. They use it a lot. They do use it a lot. I mean, it's so recognisable as well that you can't miss it when it plays. But the use of it, it's quite different to how a a character's theme would normally be used. Like if you say John Williams' Superman theme, when he's doing a super feat... He's doing something crazy, amazing. You're seeing him, the character, and you're getting the theme. The way they use it here, which is very clever, if it's... Axel Foley and he's up to mischief even when it's not him on screen but it's a character carrying out something that he's been set up you still get the theme so you've got like say that mischief so when you've got the situation is because of Axel Foley so you know he's responsible for whatever's happening in that moment even though Eddie Murphy is on screen an example is the banana in the tailpipe Mm. when the guy's walking over he's got the tray the food from the hotel Axel F thing. You don't like, yep. see Axel Foley in that scene until later on when he sneaks up. But it's the decoy is happening, but you know it's Axel Foley. Hear, dun, dun, dun. Yeah, that's a... But normally, if it, a character in a movie or a TV show has a theme, they're on screen. Just because it is meant to be like that superhero sort of moment, that heroic, here it is, our hero, our main it, character. Oh, God, the Axel F thing is absolutely incredible. I love it. The whole soundtrack is fantastic. And oh, the songs as well, yeah. And I picked it up on iTunes just because I wanted to like go and have like a full listen. <laughs> and when I was driving over here today to record, I, I was blasting the soundtrack. Great score. It's it. It captures the time as well. That is very funky. And the impact on the the genre, the industry. Do you think this movie's actually made a mark? Yeah, definitely. Bad Boys, two Eddie Murphys, Martin Lawrence, <laughs> Will Smith. Bad. Yeah, Rush Hour. Like all these movies. Even though they came a few years after Beverly Hills So basically, Hills basically the, the cop. The, the action the wise cop comedy. Cracking yeah. cop. Because before Ridge Murphy, like cops, it was serious business. You know, you had like your Clint Eastwood types, your Dirty mm. Harry. It was grizzled. It was hard men. Yeah, all of a sudden, their crimes you've and... got this young cop and he's, he's got jokes. Yeah, the wisecracking, smartass, sort of unconventional cop yeah no it's all there and obviously the comedy elements as well so you do get like the rush hours and the bad boys which have the humor implanted in them as well so before beverly hills cop it wasn't really a thing especially not on this scale and they wouldn't have known at the time like they're trying to make a fun movie oh that's it yeah well (laughs) we should actually get into a little bit of how this movie sort of came to be because it wasn't always gonna be what this was i mean axel folly was originally named Ellie Axel, a cop from Pittsburgh um, in what could have been called Beverly Drive. And essentially this was pitched as a straight action film. It turned into an action comedy with the lead character now called Axel Ellie, now from Detroit. So we're sort of, we're sort of getting there. <laughs> we're getting there, yeah. We're getting there. Um, eventually Axel Foley, the role was offered to Mickey Rourke, and then eventually Sylvester Stallone, who rewrote the script um, back into a straight action movie. With, I think he named him Axel Cabretti. Michael Tando- Tandino, his, his friend in the movie, was changed to be his brother, and Jenny Summers was turned into a love interest for him. So, I mean, it was a very different movie. And apparently, this is... Stallone apparently turned down the role because of some issue regarding the type of orange juice he was getting in his trailer. I don't know if that's just lie. I just wanted to say that. Sounded funny. Okay. There is so much (laughs) to unpack there. 
Orange Juice, I think he's is ridiculous. <laughs> you he, never know. Mickey Rourke did pass on it. Uh, I he, think he w- had another role. He had another that he role that he went to. to. Before Stallone, though, producers Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer wanted Eddie Murphy. Palmer so from Mount, the start, sort of thing, or close to when they were talking about it being an action comedy, they wanted Murphy. Paramount wanted Stallone. They approached Stallone, and he said yes. And you're right; he was making all these changes. The character name, Axel Cobretti. Interestingly, with that surname, a lot of the changes that Stallone had made to this script became the movie Cobra. So if you watch Cobra, yeah, it's yeah, kind okay. of what Stallone was looking to do with with Beverly Hills Cop. The so, reason, so he went off and made the movie he wanted anyway. He did. Yeah. The reason that that I've heard in in interviews on you know special features on the Blu-ray, it came down to Stallone didn't think that the audience would buy him as an everyday out of town cop. Mm. I think that's more believable than the orange juice drama. Yeah, and I suppose if they wanted to, they were like insisting on having it have those comedy elements. I think Stallone was like, it's not really me. He still hasn't really done comedy. He was in one of the Spy Kids movies. (laughs) I think Spy Kids 3D. Yeah, he he plays multiple villains. Anyway, oh, he, yeah, he's done true. a little bit of comedy. <laughs> he was in the Ants movie. Anyway, <laughs> we're getting uh, distracted. Yeah, so the, what was happening? So two weeks out from shooting, the producers flew to New York to have a meeting with Stallone. And when they came back, that's when they announced, two weeks from filming, Eddie Murphy was the new lead. And they were doing rewrites, left, right, and centre. So even like, yeah, when they were, when they were shooting, it was... They were just rewrites. Impro- I mean, improvising, rewriting, utilizing sets wherever they're like, oh, we can't get get access to that area. You know, like they the banana scene again. They it was originally potatoes or something, and they were like, oh, he needs to go into the kitchen for those. And then it was like, oh, we can't get film in there, or we can't get to that. So, oh, let's just rewrite it. Use bananas, and then it was like a whole scene was created with the buffet. You know, like that's Eddie Murphy on the spot. He was from the second season of SNL. He'd had his stand-up, 48 hours, and all of a sudden, with two weeks prep... He's a to lead. ...to be the lead, he's on set and he's ready to go. And, you know, they say breakout performance. It really is. He owns every bit of this movie. Another thing on Stallone, though, Beverly Hills Cop 2, Billy Rosewood, Judge Reinhold's character, is a big Stallone fan. And he has a Rambo poster in his apartment. And... Oh, he they does, kind of, eh? Yeah. They tease it in here where he's he's got the gun and he, he lacks firearms. They take it to the next level in in the second one. And, oh, like... And Taggart's like, I'm getting really worried about you, Billy. Like he becomes Rambo, like... Pretty much. Yeah. Like, so it's interesting how it was going to be Stallone in this first one and then he's featured or referenced quite a bit in that second movie. Obviously, like, I didn't find out about all the Stallone stuff until after I'd watched it, but it was like, yeah, like, they obviously do poke fun at... The fact that that was a whole thing. I like that. But this is, you know, like, like you mentioned, like this is, ended up being Eddie Murphy's movie, and yes, it is his movie. It's, a, it's the first of seven Eddie Murphy movies in a row to open at number one. So this was the beginning, I guess, of his trajectory to good stuff, and that lasted a bit. 
before Pluto Nash and, <laughs> and various <laughs> other movies. Oh. But he looks to be coming back, which I know we're both very happy about That's, that. Yeah, I think it's... But that's incredible. One of seven movies opening at number one. Like, he really was top of the world. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's that scene, you know, the very famous scene where he tries to get the booking at the, you know, get a room at that hotel. Makes up this whole bullshit story about writing a, a story for, or an article for Rolling Stone magazine, Michael Jackson sitting on top of the world, when actually in real life, uh, Playboy actually ran an article called Eddie Murphy sitting on top of the world. So there's a lot of... There's a lot of, like, humour just injected that's just, like... Eddie Murphy references. Only... You'd only know if you know. But like I said earlier with the stand-up outfits. Only if you know. They only exist in Raw and Delirious, yet here they are, got two people walking down the street. That's an Eddie Murphy reference. This is another Eddie Murphy reference in a movie where people didn't know it was going to be what it ended up being. Mm-hmm. But they were really patting themselves on the back afterwards. Like marketing the movie. Like, we did good. So much on Eddie Murphy in his stand-up. A lot of what I, what I at least got out of this movie, like what I loved, was it's the Eddie Murphy stuff and it's the humour. I mean, I'm all for a, you know a good action movie and a good like a good cop flick. Usually a buddy cop movie, but I mean, he's got kind of two buddies in this, which you know it, it's, it all kind of works. It's more the it's more him and Rosewood Taggart, those two other cops, you know, like the dynamics between them, improvising things, the banter between all of them. It's it's what that's what drove the movie for me and gave me the most enjoy out of like I at the end of the at the end of the day I really didn't care much for the actual story of him actually trying to solve the the murder and you know take down Maitland and all that kind of stuff. I just enjoyed what was happening. It was all just fun. John Ashton is fantastic as Taggart, but I had a very sobering rewatch the second time I did it for this podcast. Again, this movie came out the year I was born. This blew my mind. In between viewings, I was watching the special features, and it's made reference to the fact that Ashton, who plays Taggart, when they made this movie... 36 years of age. Oh! I'm 35. He's almost my age. And growing up, and even now, I'm doing the rewatch, I'm like, but he looks like an old guy. He's got the balding head, the tash, the belly. Yeah, I mean, not horrendously old, but he... he... Not horrendously old, but but when you realise that you're as old as Taggart... He doesn't... quite sobering. He doesn't look like he's in his 30s. No, he he looks older. But you mentioned the relationship between Taggart and Rosewood. It was one of the features that they were talking about what they wanted from their characters. And interestingly, Judge Reinhold, he was one of the first actors cast in the movie. And they was trying so many people opposite him because they wanted like a, a Lowell Hardy vibe. Yeah. And how they wanted them to play the characters is as a married couple. Taggart is the husband and Rosewood is the wife. And then there's scenes in the movie and there's so much ad-libbing. Like if you look at the script, it says Taggart, Rosewood stakeout. They sat in the car. There's no dialogue. There's no nothing. And then you've got Rosewood, and he's talking about how much red meat he's consuming. He's talking about the amount of coffee that he's drinking. Like a married couple. Like a married couple. So when you watch it again through that prism of them being a married couple, it makes it even funnier. It really does. You've got Taggart yeah. trying to climb over the wall, mm. and his legs are scraping really quickly. There's so much humour in this movie. 
Lisa Ilbacher, if that's how you pronounce her name, uh, plays Jenny Summers. Um, and what was interesting about this is that they don't play her as a love interest, which you think would be a very easy and generic sort of avenue to go down to. Like, she's an old friend. She which is better. obviously has an insight information to the, you know, the actual plot, the, the crime, the friend that was murdered. She works for, you know, who turns out to be, you know, the, the villain, Maitland. They do a really good job at selling that childhood. It was Axel Foley, it was her and Tandino. And they were really tight friends. Mm. And there's that line in the bar where you find out Tandino went to juvie for Axel because he loves him like a brother and yeah. friends. So I thought the limited time that Tandino got on screen, they, gave they did a, a good lot. job yeah. of selling selling that relationship. Well, it's a good dynamic as well, like um, Axel and Tandino. Axel's now, he's a cop, even though he's a bit of a larrikin, he, you know, he, he's still a cop, he's on the side of the law. He's got his mate who's now, you know, obviously visits him at the start of the movie, but it's like, you can see it's like, oh, you know, he's into some shady things, or getting mixed up in all these these bonds, where to get them from, like, obviously not legal stuff, a bit shady, but like, they're still friends, they're still mates, he's, you know, and then obviously when things go down, it's like, yeah, my friend, he, and he jumps into it to avenge him, sort of thing, but... It sort of just shows, like, he's got roots. He's got baggage, and there's a life lived before this movie starts. And it's like, that's all in the first, you know, few minutes of the movie. You get so much context. And before I said Lisa, I meant Jenny Summers. That was the actress's name. Yeah. But, yeah, they did a really good job of having that catalyst because it's a fish-out-of-water tale. You need a good reason for him to leave everything that he's familiar with how I mean, do we get him out of water, yeah. Because he really sticks out in Beverly Hills, and that's the whole point, but you need to get him there. And his childhood best friend that went to juvie for him is a good way to do that. And by having him work in security with Jenny, it brings him straight back to her. And then you've got the other awesome, hilarious supporting <laughs> characters. Uh, we've got to talk about Bronson Pinchot as Serge. <laughs> yeah, he's actually, yeah. brilliant and they bring him back in three he's not in the second one they bring oh, okay. him back in three and he's he's doing something slightly different there but he's still funny I thought like I mean he was he was just stealing that scene um, where he's introduced I thought he would keep popping up in the movie and, and but it's like that's it that's that's all you get from him I mean it's enough don't be stupid <laughs> <laughs> it's brilliant you know originally there were supposed to be two people working in the gallery. But they were like, Serge is enough. The other guy, they had to say, what he's doing is really good and we want to tap into that more, so can you leave? <laughs> can you leave the set? I mean, they still used him. He, he Apparently it was that same actor that walked on with the with the shirt unbuttoned. Oh, really? So they, get, they oh, used okay. him to elevate Serge oh, okay. so he's even there. more. And then he's asking so he's to cover up. This is disgusting. <laughs> no one wants to see this. <laughs> like rat tails or something. But yeah, but that's... Yeah, hilarious. Like he's he's really good in it. It's funny. Just for I mean, how long is he on screen for? Maybe two minutes, if that. Maybe two and a half minutes. It's such a memorable. In fact, you know moment. what? He's really good in how they use him in that third movie, and he refers to him as like Aquel, and he's he's got anyway. He's got loads of oh, funny yeah, lines, yeah. and and the use, and he keeps calling him Surge. I think in the third one, or someone else called him Surge, and he like makes reference to it sounded like a detergent. Maybe watch three for Surge. <laughs> Purely for that, yeah. <laughs> that would get me there. Um, who else have we got? I mean, Paul Reeser pops up at the start as Jeffrey. Again, I thought he would have, 
you know, he's a recognisable face. What's he in like? Was he an alien? Uh, aliens uh, and Mad About Mad you. About You is where Stranger Things season two. Yes, as the <laughs> one government guy or something. I mean, yeah, he pops up. He's good. He's you know irritating. He's trying to help out Foley in the beginning. It's not that irritating. He's okay. Well, okay, he's irritating to Foley. Like that, yeah, sure. That's the character that he's playing. I didn't personally find him irritating, <laughs> but he's supposed to be there to irritate Foley. But we're at the station. Let's talk about the best character at the station then. Detroit Police Department Homicide Detective Inspector Todd. Gilbert R. Hill. Incredible. I mean, again, you don't get many scenes with him, but the ones that he's in... Yeah, he's bringing a lot. I mean, he's obviously bringing the authority, but he's also bringing, like, you know, a little bit of a fondness for, for Axel. He shows that he cares. He actually genuinely cares about him, but he still needs to keep him in line. It's like if you watch a cop movie and there's a, a police captain, this is the guy you think of. It's like everybody is trying to do Inspector Todd. I'm like gonna potentially <laughs> I'm gonna potentially blow your mind here, right? This actor, Gilbert R. Hill, is not an actor. He's a real life cop. When they were scouting police stations, he worked at the station. This guy had three credits to his name, he's since passed away, but those what? three credits are Beverly Hills Cop, Beverly Hills Cop Two, Beverly Hills Cop Three. I am not even kidding. In real life, <laughs> he later served as president of the Detroit City Council. Holy Lord He in was hell. just a real guy that looked and sounded like a cliched police captain. And I think part of that is he started it. <laughs> because I don't <laughs> think this version of a character, because this shouty captain, you know, Last Action Hero, which is more of a spoof, a satire, but all these movies have a shouting captain. I think it started with this guy. I think that, yeah, I think we could give him that claim to fame, but amazing that he Just a real bloke. Just not an actual actor, just a guy. And they're just doing him, his job. Giving him a piece of paper, and with then lines on it, and he's just saying it. Doing his job on screen. Yeah. That's weird. Mind almost blown there. Yeah, pretty. There, there was blowing. I'd, I heard about <laughs> it years ago, and then I did the rewatch for the first time. And you remember. And I'm like, this guy is too good. Like, I must have remembered that wrong. And then I looked it up and it was confirmed and then watched it that second time again and just blown away from it, blown away by his performance. Because again, like he doesn't just have this awesome scene in the opening. He's in the whole trilogy. Like they just keep bringing him back. And he's, he's brilliant. It's <laughs> <laughs> he, one of the best performances in the whole movie. So I guess Axel goes back to Detroit in two and three then at some point. Or The second one. Believe it or not, there's a reason for him to go to Beverly Hills. <laughs> the third one, there is yet another reason for him to go to Beverly Hills. See, he always goes back to Detroit. So how many times or how many different reasons are they going to keep coming Because I was with? thinking when... Because I didn't really remember the how, you know, what really happened in the movie. I was thinking at the end, you know, like, they would be like, how about you stay here for a bit, you know, like, give us a hand, join us or whatever. And he's like, oh, yeah, maybe. I think, But he doesn't. He's like, he's dead set like, I might stick around for a bit. With very clear intentions to go back to Detroit. With a trilogy, they really mix it up. The first movie, something happens in Detroit for him to go to Beverly Hills. The second movie, something happens in Beverly Hills for him to leave Detroit. And in the third movie, something happens in Detroit for him to go to Beverly Hills. I mean, back and forth. Yeah, keep us on our toes. They're mixing it up. 
Let's talk about the Beverly Hills... Oh, he's a lieutenant. I was going to say captain or inspector, but yeah, no, the equivalent, really. Lieutenant Andrew Bogomil, played by Ronnie Cox. Bogomil Sorry. is a bloody great character. Sounds like a Smurf. If you look at the... Am I thinking Gargamel? Is that... If you look at his character's arc, by the end, he becomes dishonest. And that's his arc. That's his arc! He starts as an honest cop, everything's by the book, black and white, and then he lives in this... Grey area that Axel Foley like introducing to. Okay, who who would have thought that that one scene where you know Axel is reeling off you know more bullshit trying to spin the story to super cops. Yeah, the only thing missing from the only thing missing from these guys capes. And he's trying to you know he's trying to lift up those two two cops who you know he doesn't hate them. He's actually trying to do something good for them. He likes them. They take a while to like him. Taggart turns and he's like, no, I'm going to tell the truth. This is actually what happened. And it's like, okay, well... <laughs> and it's funny, you know, Axel walks up, he's like, it was working. The story was working. I don't know. I don't understand. It, uh, hilarious. There's a story that goes with that scene. It was a very long day shooting. He's very tired. It doesn't Eddie have Murphy, like coffee. He's get, yeah, he's getting tired. Uh, he doesn't drink coffee, alcohol, cigarettes. So none of that. And because he wanted to, like, to deliver for the scene, he, he had some coffee. And he was just like, well, you've seen what he was like because that's what's in the movie. <laughs> and they ended up still having to do a couple of takes to get the right one. But none of that was scripted. The Super Cops line, all of it. If you go back and watch the scene, Judge Reinhold, so Billy, he's got both hands in his pockets and he's firmly squeezing his leg. He'd already ruined so many takes laughing uh, at Murphy. That's what you get when you, you, you just have these improvising scenes. And a lot of the scenes with Bogomil... He's often walking around with a piece of paper. And that's because at the last minute ahead of shooting... That's his script. They change his lines on him. <laughs> so more than any other actor in this movie, Bogomil... You've, done, you've got me saying it weird now. <laughs> Bogomil. I don't know how it sounds... I don't know how it's supposed <laughs> to sound anymore. So Bogomil, more than any other character, was having lines revised on the spot. They just didn't trust him to improvise. Well, I guess he was having to chop and change to match whatever... Murphy That's it, and yeah. the other guys were doing because a lot of what was happening wasn't in the script. So you kind of like got to come up with things on the fly. Whereas Ashton, Reinhold and Murphy, I think they were a lot better at improv. Yeah. So then they were, for Ronnie Cox, they were having to write his responses for him. Make it easier for him. Let's talk Victor Maitland, and I guess as well we'll talk about Zach. Uh, but Victor Maitland played by Stephen Burkoff. And Zach, Jonathan Banks, who I didn't look at the the credit for him before watching the movie, but as, as I was watching it, I was like, that guy looks really familiar. Community? Uh, well, yeah, community. I went to Breaking Bad. Oh, yeah, isn't that? Uh, and I was like, it looks like that guy. But it also doesn't look like that guy. Because, because he's got brown hair. He's so young. <laughs> <laughs> but he's still, like, odd-looking. My memory of him from this film... <laughs> Jonathan Banks, odd-looking. With a face covered in trifle. And that's how I remember his character in this movie. The scene where, where Axel throws him the buffet table in his candle like a dog on a leash. And then Maitland gets him to stay. Yeah. He's a good number one. He's a, he's a good <laughs> attack dog. I, I like him as a character in this. I mean, he's intense as you would expect from Jonathan Banks. But um, I mean, he's the one that kills his mate. That's it. He kills Tandina. And obviously you get the redemption later on. Or not the redemption, the revenge, sorry. Redemption is something completely different. Where Axel... Gets to put a bullet in him. I think that felt good. 
for him. But Maitland, you know, like, generic old guy, villain. I didn't get anything too exciting from him. You know, I think he filled the role. There's, there's definitely there's a mystery about him. I think not having an American villain really added to the character. And he's got, like, a cold intensity, like, in his eyes. Like, he's just got a very intense look about him. Mm. I didn't notice, but I read when I was reading things for this, um, I came across the fact that apparently he has little to no eyebrows. So I may have to go oh. back and watch it again <laughs> just to find out. In high definition, just to <laughs> really get it on that. But I thought it was it was a very good presence because for the most part, it's just him and Banks. They're you two guys. Yeah, I mean, you got your goons and stuff, and you know, like just cannon fodder for the most part. I guess that's pretty much the majority of the characters. I'll just throw this fun fact in there. Director Martin Brest has a cameo as the clerk who checks Axel out of the hotel oh, at cool. the end of the movie. Martin Brest. I don't know what other <laughs> credits he has, but Don Simpson, Jerry Bruckheimer, aggressively pursued him to direct this movie. Because he'd worked on something previously. Oh, War Games. He was fired from War Games. And then he was looking to be blacklisted, but there was a... Like a, a short movie or like a school film or, or college film that he'd made, and Simpson and Bruckheimer had seen it, and they again went after him to direct this movie. And I don't know what he's gone on to do since, but from getting fired for War Games to directing one of the highest grossing movies in 1984. We did, um, I did like Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Uh, well, he directed that. I, oh, that's right. Amy Heckling, who directed Clueless, she wrote it, didn't she? That also has Judge Reinhold in it. There you go. That's your connection to Judge. There you go. He did, like, Meet Joe Black. Um, but I think I think this was one of his last movies. It could be his last movie was Jiggly, that Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez movie. And then I don't think <laughs> he made anything after that. Oh, that'll be enough to put you in movie jail, wouldn't it? <laughs> movie jail. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. But hey, he gave us Beverly Hills Cop. <laughs> <laughs> On that bombshell, let's uh, let's take a quick break. And uh, yeah, we'll continue in just a sec. Hi, I'm Luke. And I'm Jason. And we are the guys from That Film Stew. Do you like movie reviews and want to keep up to date with the latest in movie and TV news? Then That Film Stew is the podcast for you. Join us every two weeks for some good times, laughs and firm opinions on the things we love. That's right. There's a new podcast released every two weeks on iTunes and SoundCloud. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram as That Film Stew Podcast. That Film Stew Podcast. Listen, comment, follow, share. All right, we're back. We've uh, previously mentioned uh, the soundtrack and the score, uh, you know, a little bit briefly, mainly the actual F theme. But Harold Faltermeyer, his score, do we want to get into more of it, more, more than just the Axel F theme? The thing with the movie, like especially during the rewatch, I noticed is that they rely a lot on actual songs. Yeah, like, like a soundtrack, a yeah. But it actually, it leads... A lot of the songs are queued up. Like I mentioned how they use the heat is on in the opening. There's a Point of Sisters song where you've got Axel on the back of the cigarette truck. Uh, you've got the... I'm blanking on the name, but you've got the song where it first gets to Beverly Hills. So outside of Axel F, I'd struggle to actually isolate other times like, where Faltermeyer is, is doing the music. 
I want to say, like, I, I'd imagine there would be, like, some atmospheric stuff, especially when you go into, like, some action scenes where it sort of, you know, kind of gets a little bit, like, a dramatic sort of riff. But even then, like, not much you can sort of recognise. But it's primarily Axel F. And the track... And then the songs, yeah. The track is stirred up by Patti LaBelle, and that is him arriving in Beverly Hills. So it's like... Dun, 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 dun. So a lot of what you'd normally take as a score is actually a song. So a lot of soundtracks... Like, so a lot of, the, a lot of the songs they're using have, like, have actually a long run of music. They're using the queued up to fit a scene. It's not a song that's happening over. It's actually a part of the scene. So if you look back at soundtracks from from then and from now, often you'll get like music inspired by, music from. Mm. Beverly Hills Cops, there's only 10 tracks on the soundtrack and all of them actually fe- feature and play key parts in the movie. So that's why I love the soundtrack so much. So when I listen to it, you're really listening to the movie. And then again, whenever Axel is up to anything, it's the Axel F thing. That's it. And it, it just works. You get so much energy from those songs as well. Like, I think it, it brings that flavour and it, like a signature to the to the movie that's not the actual F theme. It is like it's of the time. It fits with the setting, you know, like the juxtaposition of, you know, Detroit to Beverly Hills. It's all there and it works. And I think it's just such a strong element on top of everything else that's going on with the comedy, the action, there's the music. I mean, if you were to watch Axel Foley in action on mute, it wouldn't have the same effect without Axel F. It would just come across as a, you know, run-of-your-mill sort of And it'd still work. It'd still be a good scene, but I just think the music is so important to this film. Like I say, it gives it like a signature... Should we just gush over some some of the, the best scenes? And, hey, we'll even throw on some, if there's any, bad, worst scenes. I mean, if I'm honest, I'd struggle with, with worst. Okay, this is not, like, worst scenes. But what I've noticed, a big difference, again, like, we've lived, I've lived with this movie for so long. And I guess as I've gotten older, when I was a kid, my favourite scenes would have been more around... Eddie Murphy doing the funny voices, yeah, pretending yeah. to be characters. Whereas, although I still enjoyed it now, it wasn't as enjoyable when I was younger. But that's why when I was saying earlier, I think for like a kid watching this, it's got a, it's got an easy entry, even though there's like death and stuff happening in it. It's sort of like the more silly moments where it's like, yeah, oh, so it's, just, it's just a goofball on screen doing things. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, kids watching this with their parents in the 80s and 90s, it's one of those movies where it's got some for both. That's a good, I mean, a testament to the, the type of comedy as well, where you have those levels. But best moments, it's pretty much anything with Axel, you know, if he's complimenting the back of a police car, if he's been thrown <laughs> out of a window, banana in the tailpipe. For the window. <laughs> they threw me out a window. Uh, witnesses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and again, like, Billy and Taggart, like, the supporting characters are so good. Like, everybody is delivering in this film. It's just an overall enjoyable experience. And again, like, doing the rewatch twice in a close period of time even the second time, I'm not. There were no moments where, oh, this is running a little bit long, or this scene's not working for me. I it's, did have a. I did actually. Sorry to interject. I did have a, a chunk of the movie where it did sort of drag a bit for me, 
and that was when they were sort of I think it was um, it was Axel and Jenny that were um, you know they were discovering all the stuff about the coffee you know there's a scene where they're sort of in the at the police station they they are sort of just like relaying all the you know basically the plot all the discovery of the crime and like oh you know who's done it we've got this we're uncovering it was like it ran a bit thin it was like it was a lot of just exposition and i think that's when the movie kind of turned into a cop movie yeah, and no, i was I, like I that, yeah. oh let's just get to the action let's yeah, no, where's the comedy we're sort of missing all that but i think what we're getting out of that is we're getting two elements so we don't we, we are but you've got so axel is pretty much initially is coming from a place of like i'm from detroit where it's real life and i'm a real cop mm. and i come here to beverly hills it's all shiny and new and you guys are just handed guns and badges like, he's not taking them seriously to begin with. And then from his background, he's also not been taken serious by them. So when he's got that scene, and it does run, I guess, a little bit long with him and Jenny, and he's got the coffee grounds, and he works out, oh, this is a diversion, or they're covering up yeah. something illegal. And then when you're in the police station, you're right, they do pretty much go over it again. But then you've got Bogomil, who's pretty much like, he's following the same lead as Foley. So it's showing you that there's a real, the real cops too. But you're right, it does run a little bit long <laughs> and it does double up. And but that's I mean, the moment where Bogomil's like, okay, okay, sir. So, so don't talk evidence. Tell me, like, what, what's your hunch? What do you think? So it was them like meeting in a middle ground. Like meeting halfway, cops. yeah, yeah. But I mean, that's the only chunk of the movie where I had the major ground. And it wasn't even that major. I was just sort of, I was just sort of started to tune out because, you know, it became sort of run of the mill cop movie and I was like okay but I mean it is a cop movie it's what you're gonna get but I mean you mentioned already so many good scenes you know from the from the truck chase at the start uh, where it's just destruction everywhere there's so much chaos but like everything is happening pretty chill like it's just just a truck is big getting thrown out the window the bananas in the exhaust there's just there's so much yelling at the the girl at the at the front of the hotel at the whole Michael Jackson thing did you spot um, Damon Wayans? No, no. Weird. He's he's in it earlier on, and he's he's got a couple of lines in Detroit, of dialogue. Or... No, in Beverly Hills. Oh, okay, and it is his first movie. Oh, Beverly Hills somewhere. Cop Two. I do recommend you watch it. Chris Rock pops up in first one movie? of his first appearances. I don't, I don't oh. know if it's his actual first movie, but he's there. It's certainly one of his early ones. I guess that's probably the main chunk of the review. For this movie. Um, before we get to our rating, we'll do our quiz. No Rob here, obviously. So what I'll do, just to keep things in good standing, I'll quiz you, Luke, as you're uh, the guest, I guess, today. So pressure's on. What we do, 10 questions, 60 seconds. How are you feeling about this? Extremely nervous. Remember before when I said I've watched it about 30 times? I mean, yeah. And I watched it twice recently. So... Yeah, very nervous. When you invited me on the show, first excited, get to rewatch Beverly Hills Cop, talk about it. But the idea of doing the quiz made me second guess slightly. Yeah, especially when it's a movie you know you have seen so many times or that you love so much. But I mean, maybe I could, maybe I'm just asking. I could just ask shit questions. I hope they're easy because I do <laughs> listen to the show and it's not always easy. <laughs> All right. Uh, time's ready to go. What is the name of Axel's friend who was killed at the beginning of the movie? Tandina. Correct. Victor Maitland was smuggling bearer bonds from which country? Oh, Africa. Incorrect. What is the name of the hotel that Axel Foley stays at in Beverly Hills? 
Pass. After asking for a couple of bananas, how many is Axel given? Two. Incorrect. What oh. did Axel ask the security guard for at the pre-customs holding facility? A match. Correct. At the strip club, what drink does Axel order? Scotch and soda. Correct. What name does Axel repeatedly call one of the armed robbers in the strip club? Ah, oh, pass. What is the name of the private club that Axel followed Maitland to? Damn. Pass. What number of herpes simplex does Axel claim to have? Oh, jeez. I don't know. Four. Incorrect. Which arm does Axel get shot in? Left. Incorrect. Oh, it was 50-50. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> Correct, but too late. Um, so you got three out of ten. Oh, it's terrible. Not too bad. No, I will very terrible. quickly go through some of the incorrect answers that you got and correct you on that just to rub it in your face. Yeah, really. thank you. Victor Maitland was smuggling bearer bonds from Germany. Oh. Um, the hotel in Beverly Hills is the Beverly Palm Hotel. Axel is given three bananas. Ah, oh. You said couple. I thought two. Let me ask for a couple. He's given three. Damn. I thought it was interesting. Um, Phil... He goes what? up to the, Who's the armed oh, right, robber okay. at the strip club. Oh, that's right. Phil! He pretends he knows Phil! him. I think he says Philip a couple of times. Yeah, so he does. Yeah, yeah. Um, fantastic. Um, the private club that Axel followed Maitland to is Harrow. Right. Uh, big, uh, big words on a thing. Um, Herpes Simplex 10 is what Axel claims to have. I don't know if that's a real thing. Um, didn't look into it that much. And he does get shot in the right arm. I was close. <laughs> With the arm, at least. Halfway there. I mean, I was 100% wrong. <laughs> I remembered his drink of choice. And I'll I, take that as a win. that's the important thing. That is. Let's rate this. Um, and I'll let you go first as my guest here today. Out of five, of course. Out of five, go. yes. I, I do love this movie. Uh, it's so much fun. And I could go home tonight... And just watch it again. The the music, Eddie Murphy, the supporting characters. It is such a fun movie. And it started this genre of films, these cop comedies that I love so much. But I'm going to be measured. I'm going to be measured. And I'm going to come in at a four and a half out of five. It's not a full five, but it's bloody... Close. My personal enjoyment of this movie has always been so high. I do want to go back and watch the second one just to see if I do still prefer that over this. But as a as a first movie, it sets up the character, the world, and it is just fantastic. And again, Axel F, one of the best action character themes ever, if not the best. Four and a half. The comedy that we get in this movie is is something that I think it's very rare to find in modern movies now. It's something that I miss. It's the type. It's 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 a it's a fantastic type of comedy, and you get all the with Eddie Murphy, the supporting characters as well. You know those two other cops. The actions there as well. You know when it's needed. I mean, it's at the end. You know it's a bit over the top, but it's like. You know, we've sat here for you know an hour and a half, pretty much. Like, let's get into it, and you get it, and you get the you get that deliverance of of a big shit out, and it's fun. I mean, I remember having 
fond feelings of this movie, liking it. But I mean, I never revisited it again. I'm so glad I've had this opportunity to go back and watch it again. It's, yeah, it, it was surprisingly, like, really good. And I'm like, I'm really disappointed that I haven't yet seen 2 and 3. But here's my excuse, even the third one, even if people don't like it, that's okay. I'll decide for myself. It's still a good movie. <laughs> it's still good. But this is, yeah, like, there's so many funny scenes that I think we... we Probably forgot to mention a whole bunch from it. There's so much good stuff happening. Like you said, not a perfect movie in any regards. Probably a lot you can probably pick at. But I mean, you know, it's a fun, enjoyable ride. So I'm going to come in at a 4 out of 5. So that was our Rewind to 1984, Beverly Hills Cop. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Rewind in Review. As always, we'll remind you that any feedback, either positive or negative, or any Rewind requests can be sent to us via email at thatfilmsdewpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can reach out to us on either That Films You or Rewind and Review's Facebook pages. Like and follow these pages whilst you're at it. Subscribe and leave us a review on SoundCloud and iTunes as it does help others like yourself find the podcast. That Films You has a website where you can find our entire catalogue of episodes. Check it out, thatfilmsyoupodcast.com. Rob will be back on the next Rewind and Review episode and I believe you are both going back to 1999 to look at the raunchy teen comedy American Pie. Correct. Raunchy. Oh man, that movie is so good. <laughs> I'm not going to be on the episode, okay. I, I can say. All right, out of five, give us now. Ooh, <laughs> no, don't do it, don't do it. Five. Really? No, 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 no. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but it's high, it's up there. It's up there, okay. Two is superior. (laughs) But American Pie is incredible. You wait for my review. I will. Thank you for listening. This has been another Rewind and Review. See you on our next trip. Please rewind this cassette before returning it to your video library. Uh, yes. But 50%? Right. No, no, 50% wrong. No, 100% wrong.